to the Making Laps Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Making Laps Podcast, episode 17. I am your host, Brent Gleason. With me by Facebook audio call, whatever you call it, because everybody's doing you know internet-based calls these days because of coronavirus nonsense, it's Phil Jakes. Uh, we are available on all major podcast platforms, gleasonbrosracing.com for links to those listening sites, on Instagram at Making Laps Podcast, and facebook.com slash Making Laps Podcast. These are interesting times we're living in right now, and I know I didn't put out an episode last week, but with absolutely nothing going on, can you really blame me? Uh, everything is on hold. Every event's being postponed to later dates while people are working on their equipment. There's nowhere to use it. So what's there to report on? We're already past uh, a few local opening dates, such as the Icebreaker at Thompson and People all across racing from the grassroots to the pros have been turning to virtual racing, specifically iRacing. I'm not really going to report on any of these invitational events that have been broadcast on TV because while they're entertaining and all, that's all they're really meant to be. There's no money, there's no prestige, there's no awards, just a bunch of bored racers trying to put on a show. Um, There has been some drama lately, which we'll probably be touching on in lap number one. However, um, we have our own Making Laps podcast iRacing series, and we call it the Making Laps Truck Series. And it's a lot like the Stadium Super Truck Series Robbie Gordon owns, except we don't get to put jumps on our tracks because iRacing hasn't programmed that in yet. Uh, however, the premise is much the same. Pro off, uh, pro two off-road trucks racing on asphalt road courses. Uh, we did try our short track. It didn't go as well as we'd hoped, so we kind of canned that idea and stuck to road courses. So far, we've run about two races, and our co-host, Phil Jakes, here, has managed to win both of them somehow. Why is that? Proof that I actually can drive. Proof that you can actually iRace. Well, well, yeah, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we race on... No one uh, would be able to tell by the FK stuff. That's that you know I wasn't going to get into that but I mean since you already <laughs> stepped into the the rabbit hole poor Phil here has been trying to qualify for the uh i racing uh races that Stafford Motor Speedway has been putting out f- on Friday nights with their SK division on i racing and I think they have invitational races on Wednesday for people who aren't um what registered for the uh, to drive at the track for the year and they yeah, allow, they allow guys yeah, fans and crew. And then whoever qualifies into that race can try to qualify on Fridays against the guys who are registered or something like that. Now it's been Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's been three I think three weeks, right? They've they've done this yep. show. Yep. And you got wrecked in pretty much every single qualifying race that the even Concy that has been held, right? All three qualifying heats, all three Concies something about open wheels and me just apparently don't get along. Well, it just goes to show, I mean, if you watch all the iRacing events that like the cup guys have been doing on TV, it's, it's a farce. And I mean, it is entertaining, but no, it's so like, 
the guys just don't care and they just go wreck each other. It's so goofy. But well, like, there's that, and there's you got neck code issues too that'll screw you over if you race too tight. So yeah, the net code is is a problem. I mean, it, you you know if you're computer lags just a hair or their computer lags a hair you can for some reason make contact and wreck each other even though you weren't really close or it's always something weird and i mean yes it's not real and that proves it but i mean i won't give you any crap because i don't think i could do any better i don't even think i'd make it off a wednesday night so (laughs) oh those guys are actually really tough they are super super fast smooth and consistent but anyway we our series is a lot more fun than that, and we <laughs> we race on Wednesday yeah. nights at 8 p.m. We don't have any championship points. We don't have any prize money. We don't give out awards. It's just a bunch of guys having a good time, uh, not taking anything seriously. It's not a complete shit show. We do race with respect, but we still have a very good time. If you want in, uh, feel free to DM, uh, DM either me or Phil. Send us a message at facebook.com slash podcast on the page. And we can add you to the group uh, if you feel like coming out and racing. I mean, we've we've been picking up a couple people here and there, and it's been a good time. Uh, we do have another race coming this Wednesday. Crap, I forgot the date. What's it, 16th, 15th? What is it, 15th? Yes. That'll be at 8 p.m. It's a good time. People should come out and check it out. We don't broadcast live on YouTube or anything because we're cheap. So <laughs> if you want to watch it, you got to race with us. All right, so... With that, why don't we move into lap number one. For lap number one this week, we're going to continue with the iRacing theme. It seems like all we do is talk about iRacing on this show because that's all we do during the offseason, and now we're still stuck in the offseason when it's not supposed to be the offseason. So why not talk about that? Because, again, like I said before, it's not supposed to be serious, but there is some serious drama coming out of iRacing and all these NASCAR guys uh, running it. Um so speaking of that, the drama continues this week for real racers. Last week it was Bubba Wallace losing a real sponsor because he got frustrated during a race on iRacing while it was being broadcast, and he rage quit the event, prompting his sponsor to pull the plug on him, which personally I think it's dumb, but it's their business. I guess they can do whatever they want, right? Well, and let's let's be clear on that sponsor, too. They could not sponsor his actual car because there was a conflict of interest with another sponsor, so they chose to sponsor him there. I don't think he was getting a whole lot, if anything, from that. Okay, so it wasn't really a sponsor. It was more of a, a like a, a put our name on your car for this event for cheap. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so it wasn't really a sponsor, but I mean, yeah, I, like I said, it's just that's one of those things where it's like, dude, it's not real. Calm down. But I guess they thought that it was a little too serious, and they wanted to protect their brand. So they dumped them, and I'm like, okay, whatever do we want to do, dude. Anyway, now it is Kyle Larson's turn to be in the hot seat. Oh, boy. And this time it's a much warmer one than Bubba was sitting in. Uh, last night during an event, I think it was hosted by Landon Castle uh, and apparently live-streamed. I don't even know where it was live-streamed. I wasn't paying attention. Um, it was on Twitch, and, and the funny connection between Bubba and this is Landon Castle is also a Blue Emu-sponsored driver. Oh, you mentioned their sponsor. <laughs> ah, doesn't matter. They're uh, worthless anyway. <laughs> so, anyway, I think they sell, like, hemorrhoid cream to old people or some shit, don't they? I don't even know what it is. I have no idea. No idea. Um, um, 
apparently Larson said the N-word during race chat during the race. And somebody caught it. NASCAR caught wind of it and uh, applied their rules to this event and suspended Larson indefinitely with iRacing following suit today. Um, I, I understand that these are private entities and that they're allowed to enforce whatever rules they see fit to those either under contract to them or agreeing to their rules in order to utilize their service. Right. And now seems like a good time for me to unleash one of my non-PC rants, which everybody seems to tune in for. Oh, boy. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) It's been a long time since our country was founded, and the framework of individual rights to all citizens was written. The First Amendment of the Constitution in this country states, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. In today's society, that's all it says about free speech. It just says, listen, everything's allowed. In today's society, we've made a habit to forcibly ruin people's lives because of a simple smattering of noises that come out of their mouth. It's become so ingrained in our culture to be offended and incensed by words that we almost utilize a cult mentality and willingly undermine our own constitutional rights under the guise of morality. And don't come up to me saying, oh, well, you don't know what it's like for people to hear that word. And I say to that, that statement's nothing more than an excuse to strengthen your own victimhood. There is no strength in being a victim. I hate having to be the one to break the news to you all. But what you consider to be hate speech is still protected speech under constitutional law, whether you like it or not. I'm not advocating for racism at all. What I'm advocating for is individual mental toughness. Nobody needs to know how moral and righteous you are. You don't need to project what a politically correct and genuine person you are. As much as I might not, and I put this in air quotes, understand what it's like to be called this particular word, Every single person has been called something horrible or derogatory at some point in their life. The history of it doesn't matter to me because strong people get over hearing something they don't like, while others make it a point to remind other people of the history of the word and how bad of a person you are for using it, and they make every attempt at destroying your life instead of just being strong and moving on. If a word itself can destroy you, then you really need to harden up. When it comes to modern morality, we don't need people acting like the secret police and outing people whose behavior they don't see as fit. Let me make this clear, and this goes for all things that social justice warriors fight over as offensive. And it's not just what's considered to be a racial slur. It is not your duty or your right to destroy people's lives based on your own moral beliefs when what they've said or done to offend you has not broken the laws that this country established for individual rights or removed your personal rights. In my mind, there are far too many instances of punishments not fitting a crime and destroying someone's life over a word in a country where all speech is constitutionally protected goes against our very foundation. 
Keep in mind, O nuisance social warriors, that the line you tread on morality is a very fine one, and the very things you advocate for today can easily come back to haunt you someday, because the ease of which it is to organize a group of people into turning what you believe into something seen as immoral can happen before you know it. That's why all speech is protected under the First Amendment. Cancel culture will cancel you if you aren't careful with free speech. With free speech, it is literally all or nothing. There is no pick and choose. And I'm sorry to have to tell you all that, but that's the truth. Again, I'm not advocating racism. I'm just saying you have to define it. And this is defined. It's already been defined. It was defined over you know 250 years ago. So I guess that's my rant for today. I'm sure I pissed a bunch of you off, but to be honest, I'm sure you'll find some way of calling me a racist and trying to destroy me, even though I wasn't advocating for racism in general. So, Phil, what do you think? It's such a, <laughs> it's such a tough subject, you know. I mean, I think the only thing that, that really bothers me out of the whole deal is that he's held to such a higher standard than someone like you or me, and, and it's all because of his status. And I, I guess I just don't agree with that part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a word. Okay. Slap them on the wrist, tell them, hey, don't do that. It's not a good look, and move on. I think it's a lot, of, a lot of this has to do with the fact that people believe NASCAR to be a racist organization because people fly, like, you know, certain flags at events and... And the South will rise again. And the again. South will rise again and all yep. this stuff. It's not that anymore, okay? It's not. Somebody says a word, yeah. they, you know, especially if they're not meaning to say it to somebody in a derogatory way, just stop. Just move on. I mean, seriously, I know what it means. Everybody knows what it means. Literally, everyone. I don't care. You know, it, just move on. That's all you have to do. You don't have to sit and dwell on it. He apologized for it. He's sorry. He doesn't even have to apologize, but he did anyway because he feels bad. He didn't want people to be offended by it. That's why he apologized. So just move on, people, seriously. And don't DM me about anything because I'm not going to listen to any of you. All right, so... <laughs> so um, All right, I got nothing else on that, so <laughs> why don't we move on to lap number two? For lap number two this week, I want to take a moment to reflect on the passing of a racing icon. Sir Sterling Moss, British racing legend, passed away Sunday at the age of 90. And for those of you like Phil asking, who is Sterling Moss? I ask if you are a true race fan. Sorry, Phil. (laughs) Uh, So Sir Moss was born in September of 1929 and began his racing career in 1948. He raced until 1962 when after suffering injuries that left him in a coma for a month and having the left side of his body paralyzed for six months. He ran a private test for Lotus and he found he wasn't as fast as he used to be before the accident. So he says, you know what, I'm just going to pack it up, which is a smart move. You know, a lot of guys wouldn't live past that. They would just try to keep going. But he says, you know what, that's it, I'm done. But his achievements are astounding. We NASCAR folks... And I lump myself into that because I'm an American and I race NASCAR. So we NASCAR folks widely regard Richard Petty as the king for his 200 wins. He achieved that in 1,184 starts, which is pretty good. Sir Sterling Moss won 212 races 
in only 529 starts, which is a staggering 40% win rate. That's huge. That's a really big number. Um, he won the 12 Hours of Sebring, the Mille Miglia, the Taurus Trophy, the 1,000 kilometers of Nürburgring, 16 Formula One Grand Prix wins. Um, although he never won a driver's championship in Formula One, he is widely regarded as the best to have never won a championship. In seven years, he finished runner-up in points four times, and the other three times he finished third. As talented as he was on the track, Sir Moss was a kind and personable person off of it. Anyone who met him always remarked what a nice and gentlemanly person he was. There's a reason that men like this are icons of the sport in general. And it's because of not only the talent they exuded, but the type of person they were to everyone else. And the example men like him set are the model for all racers and human beings alike. So... Thank you, Sir Sterling Moss, for being the racer we all strive to be. And yeah, he was really the the epitome of the gentleman racer. And yeah, he definitely raced in a time period when you weren't sure you were coming home every single race. And it didn't matter what you ran in. I mean, the guy raced uh, probably one of the most dangerous times in, in all of racing history. I mean, up until, God, the 80s or 90s, it was just the worst, you know. Where would you rank him alongside someone like Jim Clark? Uh, he was very, not too far behind. Like, if I had a top five, Clark would probably be first or second. Senna would probably be in that first or second. Um, I'd say Moss would be at least th- third or fourth. So that's it's okay. pretty high standard. I mean, just based on his start and win percentage, I'd say he's a good candidate for about third on that list. I know you probably don't have a lot to go on with that because you're NASCAR boy. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just got done talking about racism, and here we are. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but Different no. kind of racism. Yeah, the, we're, we love, we're not racist. We love all kinds of racing. Drag racing, oval track racing. <laughs> Mud racing, dirt bike racing. We were not racist. But anyway, thank you, Sir Moss. You will be missed. All right, let's go on to lap number three. So for lap number three this week, I decided to tie my own life story into a lap just as a cautionary tale for anybody else who might listen to this show and uh, be either a uh, prospective race car driver or even be somebody who can just relate to this story. Um it's kind of personal, but I figured it would be worth a share. And off air, I told Phil to call me out on anything if I'm being Hippocratic or like uh, an asshole. So just kind of poke poke fun at me, Phil, if you feel like you need to. If he's still here. Muted. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Completely forgot I was sitting there talking to myself. <laughs> Whoops. So anyway, all right, so I wanted to take this moment to speak about my personal racing career and what's been going on in my life in the past few years. A lot of people have asked me why I decided to step away from racing for an indeterminate amount of time, and to be honest, the short answer is simple. Well, maybe not as simple. I, what I tell people is that it's money. 
obviously most racers will run into some kind of money or funding issues throughout their career, and I'm no different. I've had several different times where I've had some kind of funding issue and had to stop racing. It's typically for a shorter amount of time than what I'm doing right now, but I set a plan in place to completely remove myself and my family from debt, and I needed a little longer timetable than I used to take, so I said, okay, like two years instead of a few months, and maybe we'll be all set to go. However, there's other factors at play that other people don't know about and that I have never spoken about before to anyone. Racing in itself is an enigma, and there are so many layers to it that it can be so enveloping that you don't even know how deep you are in it. The psychology of it is fascinating and one of the aspects that drew me to it to begin with. The level of control over your own mind in order to be successful in such an interesting study and how racers can take over the fight or flight reflex, how they control fear, how they can multitask within split seconds all while in the midst of battle and their own bodies attempting to overcome different multiple stresses from heat, physical activity, and the elements. But after 20 years of being deeply involved in racing, I've noticed that my body doesn't react to racing the same as it used to, and I'm not old by any means. I mean, I'm in my mid-30s, and I work out a lot. I'm still very much in shape. I mean, you wouldn't know by looking at me, but yeah, I can tire my kid out by running around in the yard before I even get tired, so I think I must be in some sort of shape, right? Uh, but within the last couple years, I've dealt with different multiple health items that have been troublesome to me, such as terrible headaches from what I assumed used to be dehydration, but after some consultations and research, we agree that it's more likely the prolonged exposure to chemicals and carbon monoxide that's causing most of the problems with my health. I didn't have anything in the way of breathing issues, and I still don't. It's more closely aligned with something like a brain injury, like prolonged exposure brain injuries. If anyone is actually a listener of Dale Jr.'s podcast, the Dale Jr. Download, go look up the episode that they had recently with Rick Mast, and you'll probably see what I'm talking about because Rick goes into some serious detail about what he experienced, which ended, which ended his career, which actually ended up being mostly carbon monoxide-based. The other day, I was putting the engine in that I had built for New Hampshire, which I don't even know when we're going to run that race, but hopefully, hopefully we get it in because I paid all this money for registration and engine parts and all this other stuff. So I hope we get this damn thing in, but I was breaking that engine in and, or well, breaking the camshaft in. I'm using a used short block. Anyway, semantics, but I had the car running in my garage for the normal time you use to break an engine in like 20 minutes. And I had a large fan blowing fresh air in the shop and I would only go in there to check the engine temp and make sure it wasn't overheating and check the idle speed and adjust the carburetor and uh, even with being outside for most of the time, I still ended up laying on my porch for a long time afterwards because I had such a bad headache that I couldn't see straight. And I had to lay down because I felt like I was going to pass out. I honestly think time spent working on race cars has really begun to take its toll. And, and I don't want to have this feeling every time I want to indulge in my favorite hobby, or at least one of my favorite hobbies. So in my mind, maybe taking some time away would help me heal and be better moving forward. Like any racer who's done this for a while, I've had my fair share of injuries, concussions, cuts, bruises, contusions, burns, been to the hospital for stitches, gone to a chiropractor once a month for 19 years. I've even gotten out of race cars so bruised and beat up after a crash that I couldn't sit or move properly for weeks. But all of that is temporary. 
And I really wish you could see the massive amount of scars on my hands and body from from the past 20 years of taking a beating. But when I have the same problem happening to myself over and over and it's just not getting better, then it's time to take a good look at what's going on and do something to try to fix it. So there's also the issue of my psychological state. And I'll be honest, I've been looking for an excuse to get out of racing for a few years now. I've been involved in racing since before I had my driver's license. And this is not being a fan. This is actually working on cars. I've been doing it, okay, before I had my driver's license, when I graduated high school, all throughout college, when I started my career, when I lived in my first three apartments, when I bought a house, got married, and started a family, I've been racing. I've been racing for over half my life, and I've been a fan of racing for over 30 years. But when you go through so many different life changes and events, your philosophy on life can change too. Your priorities are different, bills rack up, responsibilities become ever different, ever changing. Allow me the chance to offer you all my cautionary tale on racing, because maybe this will help somebody else out there who's listening. Maybe not Phil, but, you know, maybe somebody else. There's no helping me. Correct. That's why I offered it to everyone else. This won't make me look good to a lot of people, but bear with me because I think it's a relatable story to some, and maybe by putting it out there, it could be a teachable example. Plus, I could use it as like some type of therapy by just opening myself up to everybody who listens to this show. Back in early 2014, my wife and I weren't married yet, but I'd already proposed marriage to her. We just recently closed on our house and we were just settling in when she found out she was pregnant. The last thing that I wanted was to become a parent. And I I know that sounds bad, but again, bear with me at the time, because in my mind, we weren't financially stable enough to become a single income family. And for a more selfish reason, if I'm honest, I still wanted my freedom. I felt like I had so many things that I still wanted to do. And I know this sounds so selfish, but again, bear with me here. And that this would be an anchor tying me into a life I wasn't really interested in. Either way, I sold all my racing equipment and kept working to save our house. I was still part-time at my job, so I was busy hustling at numerous different offices, trying to get work and do full-time hours to try to make ends meet. We were married in August. Our son arrived in October. And I know that it was the most stressful period of my entire life. There's a lot going on behind the scenes that are personal and family items that I really won't share. Um, Luckily for my family, about a month after my son was born, I was offered a full-time position. It did very little to lessen my stress at the time because my son was really not an easy baby to take care of. I'd even questioned if a child could have colic 24-7. And I honestly think he was an anomaly because it seemed like he did. And I don't remember sleeping for probably three years, not months, probably three years. (laughs) But anyway, I couldn't really shake the selfishness that I had trapped in my mind. And, you know, I thought that I got caught in a life that I really didn't want. And until the opportunity to go racing came back up and I instantly jumped at the chance. I mean, And I I had to use something as a way to escape being in my home because I felt like it was bringing me down. Uh, Debt became a problem. It started trickling in. And I must have put the thought aside because it, well, because I held racing to be my only escape from the life I was now felt like I was stuck living. Uh, 
As the seasons went along, I started seeing success in racing, but behind the scenes, the financial aspect just kept creeping in and getting worse. But winning and running well in racing has this intoxicating effect where it can cloud your greater judgment. I found myself more interested in looking for attention because of having good runs, trying to get my name in the paper than I was my own financial problems. I suppose my turning point was really seeing my father get sick and decline and eventually pass away from his illness. And uh, I'd already started to gain some family perspective by that time, and it was already transitioning to being a better father, husband, and human being. But seeing what he went through taught me to think more about what I was doing with my family or to my family. I had spent so much time working in my garage and thinking about racing and sacrificing my family's own well-being for my own personal joy that I never really took a step back to look at what I could be doing outside of racing and how much better our lives could be if I'd made a plan and got us back on track. So I eventually came up with a plan. Leave racing. After months of self-debate as to whether or not I could get over you know, racing in order to take care of myself and my family, the choice became very simple. I looked at where we were, what the future held if we did nothing to change it, or the future if I'd made a plan and stuck to it. The bottom line was I realized there were far more important things in life than a hobby. I suppose I was worried about not staying busy. But after looking at all the, all the projects and stuff I could be doing around the house, I could be working on instead of wasting heaps of money on a race car, it was easy for me to choose a better life where my investments could be used for the greater good of my family. I finally realized that I could no longer justify spending money that could be used to improve my home life. Thankfully, my wife and family have been very supportive of my revelations and my transgressions as well. And for finally coming to my senses, with all this brought to light, I offer you my story with the opportunity to learn from my mistakes because I had to make a lot of them in order to learn what really matters in life, and now I'm gladly paying my own penance to solve these issues. I am on track with my plan to be more financially stable and complete home-based projects. So while it's early in my plan, I mean, things are going pretty well. Besides, I really picked the right year to take off from racing, considering everything going on locally, nationally, and around the world, am I right? So I've even really... To be honest with everybody, I've been flirting with the idea of not even returning to racing ever. But that, you know, that's something I'm holding off on. That's a discussion for another day. I'm going to wait till this whole thing gets done with, till my plan is enacted and completed, before I make any sort of decisions regarding that. All right, Phil, you can lay into me if you like. <laughs> no, I got nothing to say. Really? Very well put. Because I, I know a lot of guys out there that really get into trouble with racing, and I had to do a lot of soul-searching these last few years to see if it was something that I really wanted to keep doing. Currently, I'm still on the fence about if I want to keep doing it. I still love it, um, but at, I'm at the point right now where I'm like, okay, well, my plan is working really well to get me back in shape and, and dig me out of this hole that I dug myself. It wasn't my family who dug this hole. It was me. I did this. So I'm paying my penance, like, like I said, to solve this. And it's going pretty well. I mean, I'm I'm not sad that I'm missing racing. I'm I'm happy that I'm able to do something that makes my life and my family's life better. So 
again, I know you have your own tales of woe and misfortune with racing. And, and I think that, you know, if you're not too unwilling to share, <laughs> then maybe it could help somebody else out there. I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. I've had a couple of situations in the past few years that have really uh, kind of changed my views on racing. I mean, anybody that knows me, I will be at every racetrack I possibly can at any time. Uh, but after the 2016 race season, it's a pretty successful season for what was realistically a rookie year. I won two races, uh, finished fifth in points, and just it was a great year, a lot of learning, a lot of fun. Um, but over the winter in February of, that, of 2017, I lost my job. And at first, I was going to put everything aside. And somewhere along the line, I decided oh, well, let's just run the icebreaker. The car is ready. It's sitting here. Let's run the icebreaker. And let's run the icebreaker quickly turned into, I think we can run the whole year. Well, the icebreaker, uh, I finished eighth. It was a pretty good run considering I suck on pass rubber. Absolutely suck. Everyone sucks on um, pass rubber. <laughs> I, I dropped like an anchor. I started on the outside of the front row that day, and I dropped to 16th. And I only gained position through attrition. Um, but anyway, uh, that was a pretty good race. Came back the next race, blew a radiator. Came back the next race, got run over. Came back the next race, got run over again. So in three races, spent almost three grand replacing a lot of parts, fixing clips, fixing bumper bars, body, suspension parts, everything. Um, and... I sat back and I was like, okay, so all my savings is now gone. I don't have a job. What am I going to do? And my girlfriend at the time was being very patient with me. Um, but that's kind of when a lot of things started to go downhill in my personal life too. So selfishness can lead you down bad roads very quickly. You always have to be aware of your surroundings and how it affects those around you. And, uh, unfortunately I did not learn my lesson from that and it eventually cost me a relationship uh, a house and all kinds of stuff so um, live and learn yeah that like I said before it's it's so easy to get sucked into it and people always often uh, equate racing to a drug and to be honest with you it's super yeah. easy to equate that because you can always come up with an excuse to do it. You can always, you know, come back to it. it. It's, it's, you relapse basically into racing. I've done it three, four times, I want to say. Um, yep. but like I said, my, my world perspective has changed and I'm not telling people not to race. I'm just saying, if you're going to do it, do it well within your means, you know, don't ever sacrifice home life, or anything to try to live out whatever, you know, dreams you might have in short track racing. I mean, some people are out there mortgaging houses to try to get their kids to, to race cup. And it's like, Oh man, I mean, that's just a risk I'm just not willing to take. And, you know, I, yeah, I'm like, I mean, I'm not that bad right now. I mean, this is what I got going on right now is super manageable. Like next year I should be pretty good, but like, I just don't want this to be all encompassing. Like if I need a roof on my house, I don't want to have to like wait two or three years to get rid of my race car debt. 
I want to be able to say, okay, well, let's just put a roof on the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I look back now and I wonder how the course of my life might have changed just by making a simple decision to step back for a year. You know, skip the 2017 season. I would have never had to sell the race car. I probably would have never stood in my driveway in the pouring rain loading boxes into the bed of my truck because I was getting broken up with and having to leave my house. You know, it's one simple decision in racing can can make a big change in your life. Yeah, so I want everybody to just kind of take these as cautionary tales because shit can go wrong in a hurry in racing, especially if you're doing it yourself. So just be smart. You know, make sure that you have your priorities straight. Racing is a hobby. It is not your life. I don't care how obsessed you are with it. It is a hobby. And I say that, and I just spent, you know, 700 and something bucks on a video card for iRacing. But don't pay any attention to that whatsoever, (laughs) okay? That was money that the government gave back to me for a stimulus check. They took my money to begin with. They gave it back to me, so I spent it as I saw fit and paid off some bills with the remainder, okay? That was responsibly, well, fun. (laughs) Anyway, all right. Um, I think we're going to close this thing up. So that's our show for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Phil, for coming on and listening to me rant about how, you know, awful of a human being I am and how racist (laughs) I am. Um, I hope, uh, people didn't rage quit my podcast after what I dropped on you all this week. And if you did, uh, maybe grow some thicker skin and toughen up. Uh, hopefully this whole farce called the COVID scare can go away soon and we can go back to normal before it gets nice out. Uh, give us a like on Facebook, check out our Instagram, give us a rating on iTunes and wherever you listen and go follow Phil at PJakes at PJakes racing, uh, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can follow us, uh, well, my, my race team at Gleason Bros Racing. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BrentGleason01. Same handle for both. And uh, when we get back to racing, keep the dirty side down and stay out of the fence. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> <laughs>